How about now? I did that all by myself. After, after Mark doing it ten times for me, of course. All right. All right, let's begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us all together today. We want to thank you, Father, for your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to thank you that we're on the Gospel of John right now, which is an incredible story of Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Messiah. Father, today we ask that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct us as we gather together. And as well after we leave, we pray, Father, that this great gospel would be the inspiration for us to, whenever, to reach out to others who are not believers yet um, in any way that we possibly can. And we pray this morning, too, Father, for the needs of the saints, especially those who are sick or struggling financially or having problems in their family or whatever it might be, Father. We know you know all things, and we, we know that you love your children. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Oh, wait a minute. What am I doing? Got a little seat sitting down in there. Ten seconds. A couple of announcements this morning before we get started. It is the first Sunday of the month, so we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper, the end of our service today. Since it is a new month, we also have a new missionary organization, Chosen People Ministries. You know, many of you know Rich Freeman, and um, it's been the challenge for them, just like a lot of ministries, because of COVID, especially since so much of what they do is to travel to other places. So please keep them in prayer that they can still be effective in their ministry to the Jewish people and uh, that we would support them any way that we can. Again, they, um, they disciple, but first evangelize Jewish people so that they come to believe in their Messiah. And they, have, they are all over the world, about 17, 18 countries. They're really strong here in the United States as well as Israel. Um, and uh, not only do they do that themselves, but they also have an active ministry with churches, especially here and again in the United States, so that they teach us how to do the same thing on, on a small scale, perhaps, with our neighbors and so forth. So um, they need our help, as all the ministries that we feature do. Um, and again, when we support them, we are supporting the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached to the, to the Jewish people, as Paul says, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So in every generation, it's really important for the church to out, outreach and give the gospel to the Jewish people, and they're doing it, and we should support them. All right, this morning, we're going to, oh, by the way, that's their website. It's an easy one to remember. The only thing to keep in mind is that it's com rather than org. So other than that, it's pretty straightforward, chosenpeople.com. All righty, the title of today's message is an exciting statement because it is the introduction of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know he's the word made flesh, but now today we're going to see him on the scene. We're going to see the the person of Christ, the God-man, his humanity. He's going to be interacting with people. So it's a really, really exciting place in the Gospel of John. Please turn now to John chapter 1, verse 29. John chapter 1, verse 29, as we continue in the Gospel of John this morning. The next day, he saw Jesus coming to him. Now, in context, the next day would be the day after John had those interesting interactions. Remember with the priests and the Levites and the Pharisees, they all wanted to know who he was. They were suggesting certain figures from the Old Testament. They kept saying, that's not me, that's not me. And then finally he quoted Isaiah, that he was just a voice in the wilderness. So this is the next day. After saying that there'd be one who'd come after him who was greater than he was, the next day the one appeared. In John's gospel, this is the first appearance on earth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why it's a very exciting place. The next day, he saw Jesus coming to him. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he, on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, 
For he existed before me. He has the highest rank of all. He was God from all of eternity. He became flesh. This is the, this is the one that John was, was waiting for, with a forerunner to, told him to be prepared for. He has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him. It's kind of a remarkable statement. We're going to get into this. Why didn't he recognize him? Right? We'll see that. But I say that because he was actually a relative. Um, of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll see that. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, so that he might be revealed to Israel. I came baptizing in water. That's, of course, what John's known for. He's called John the Baptist for a reason. His role was to be preparing the Jewish people for for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ by baptizing in water. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel. I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he, the Spirit, remained on him, Jesus. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water, that's God sent him, said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining with him, upon him. This is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I'll just say this right now. It's remarkable that even John needed a sign. Remember, this is a book of signs where there were miracles that were performed. Even John needed it in order to recognize that Jesus was the promised Messiah. In any event... He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. And again the next day, this is the third day if you're keeping track. Again the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked and he said again, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, John, and they followed Jesus. They heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Jesus Christ is the Word. He was with God. He is God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came onto his own, and his own did not receive him. And today, in this gospel, he appears in Bethany by the Jordan. In other words... The one who was from all of eternity, the one who we were told in the prologue became flesh. Now we see the person on earth walking around. It's very exciting. Today he appears in Bethany by the Jordan. That's where John was baptizing. Now Jesus came from where he lived, Galilee, Nazareth, and then he came on down to where John was baptizing on the other side of the Jordan River. John the Baptist came first, remember. In this greatest story of all. By the way, when I say story, a lot of times people associate that word with fiction. But of course, this isn't fiction. It's a true story, put it that way. The greatest story ever told. And he said there would be one who would come after him. Who was greater than he was. At the perfect time, this person arrives and comes and approaches John. From here forward in the rest of chapter 1... It'll be all about witnesses, more witnesses and introductions. After all, and that's the big theme of this book, remember? These signs that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing have life in his name. So people needed to see that Jesus is, based on facts, that he is the Christ, the Messiah, promised to Israel, the Son of God. All right, so there are introductions, and this has never changed, of course. In the, in, the, in the first century, we have the Father introducing Jesus to John. We have John introducing Jesus to his disciples. We're going to see next week that those two disciples, in turn, introduce Jesus to others. And that's been going down down the line ever since. Every one of us here, somewhere or other, was introduced to the gospel of Jesus Christ and believed by another person. And so this pattern continues throughout all of history once Jesus Christ has come. So that's what the rest of chapter 1, that's what we have to look forward to. We'll see some of it today. Again, the father introduces his son to John, his forerunner. By the way, you see here also the spirit also witnesses to John. And then John testifies 
that Jesus is the one who baptizes in the Spirit. And this is Jesus, the Son of God. And then John again introduces Jesus to two of his disciples. Next week we'll explore what happens next. Okay, let's, continue. let's begin again and let's read the first five verses again. The next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained on him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. So again, John is in Bethany beyond the Jordan. One day earlier, he had been talking with the priests and the Levites and Pharisees about his own identity. Now it's the next day. He sees Jesus coming toward him. And I want you to to think about something. He already knows that Jesus is the Lamb of God because the very first thing he says is, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. At the end, he testifies that Jesus is the Son of God. The point is, is that when, he, when Jesus came to him, at that point, he already knew who he was. See, he's thinking back. When he says, I did not recognize him, that's in the past. Something happened to change that. That's in the past. And so now when he comes to him, he knows exactly who he is. The Lamb of God and the Son of God. He already knows that he's the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. The question is, how? How did John know these things? Well, the answer, quite simply, is that something remarkable had already happened to John. God, the one who sent John, told him to be on the outlook for a remarkable sign. And then it happened. What was the sign? I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained on him. In one of the other Gospels, of the Synoptic Gospels, I believe it's Luke, he talks about the fact that he he came bodily. So there was an actual, somehow, a a, a vision, um, or actually a reality, of the Spirit coming on down in some form where John could see what was happening. As a dove, of course, is an analogy. A lot of the pictures you see of the event, see it like a dove, actual dove coming down. Well, it probably wasn't that, because he would have said, look, the dove, but he didn't. He said, as a dove, like a dove. You know, like, I don't know how a dove flies. I don't know if it can descend really quick or what. I have no idea. But that the idea was that this spirit was coming from heaven, and now he's on earth, and John knew it and saw it. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see that incredible event, the spirit descending and remaining on him. By the way, that's significant too, because in the Old Testament, the Jews were, were used to the idea that some special men would have the Holy Spirit temporarily come for them to carry out some kind of ministry. Maybe it was those men who were building the temple and the tabernacle, they were anointed by the Spirit for that purpose, but not, not permanently. It's only when we get to Jesus as the forerunner, for us, by the way, that we see the Holy Spirit descending and remaining. Throughout his entire life, the Holy Spirit remained on him and in him. And, and, and right after this event is described in the other Gospels, we see him actually going out. And, for example, he goes into the desert where he's tempted 40 days. Well, who led him into the desert? The Holy Spirit. When he started his preaching in Nazareth, it was by the Spirit that he was, um, was reading from the book of Isaiah and so forth. All right, so that's the sign. Now, so the event in question here, when he says that he, sees, he had seen in the past the Spirit descending and remaining on, on Jesus, that is, that is something that happened in the past and it's the event in question is the baptism of Jesus now by John the Baptist. And you might say, well, I don't see that here. You're right. John doesn't record the event. To him, it's already happened. And now Jesus, he's talking about Jesus in a follow-on when he's coming to see 
John the Baptist, so that he can be revealed to the Jewish people. This is a subsequent to his being baptized by John. But there's no question that this was an event, an amazing event in its own right. This had occurred earlier. I want you to see it now. Please turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 9. Mark, chapter 1, verse 9. Mark and Matthew and Luke all record the event itself. The event itself. John does not. John assumes it because it's already happened. And now he's moving on to something else, which was Jesus being introduced by John to his disciples, which was not in any of the other Gospels. All right. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming out of the water, he saw the heavens opening, and the Spirit, like a dove, descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. All right, let's circle back to John now. Back to John one twenty nine, And we're going to see in some little more detail now, the first thing that he says, that John, Jesus comes to John, he's already been baptized, and, and now he's coming to him to be revealed in public to the Jewish people, all right? And then in verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming to him, and he spoke, and he declared what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is a remarkable statement, something that would have been Shocking, mind-blowing to the Jews of that time. See, to us, we, 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 we're used to hearing that title for Jesus. We understand it. By the way, the only reason we understand it is because more is revealed about Jesus as the Lamb in the rest of the New Testament, including the epistles and especially in the book of Revelation, which we'll go to this morning. But to the Jew in that day, and to John as a matter of fact, it was a remarkable thing that this Jesus would be called the Lamb of God. And not only that, but that he would take away the sin of the world. Now the Lamb did feature prominently in the Old Testament. You know, we have, we have all the way back to Abel. You know, he sacrificed the Lamb. And then you have the Passover Lamb. You have the Lamb as a daily sacrifice. You also have the lamb as a burnt offering. So it was definitely in the Old Testament in an animal of sacrifice. But here's the thing. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice of a lamb did not take away sin. It didn't take it away. All right. We know that only when Jesus came did, it, did that actually happen. Because Jesus is the one where the actual sins of all mankind were, he, were placed upon him. And he, he had that burden and then he's the one, his sacrifice, his death, was for the redemption of, of the world. So, so now it's true that the lamb and the other uh, animals that were used in the, in the burnt offering atoned for sin. That basically means covered it. And the purpose for that would be that so that they would be clean on a, on a basis where they could continue being a member of the people, God's people, Israel. Right? So it was something in time. What Jesus did, of course, was for all time. All right. And by the way, the, even the lamb was for, was for Israel, but it was never said that it was for the whole world in the Old Testament. That would have been so foreign to their understanding or what's been revealed to them. So this is, this is a brand new thing that John is saying that would have, again, been, been amazing to anybody, including John, who heard it. Because not only does this lamb take away the sin of the world, this lamb is a person. That had never been understood. Again, that, that, that this sacrifice that was clearly throughout the Old Testament, now John declares that that sacrifice will be a person. So even though it's one statement, it's an incredible statement. Especially for those who'd never heard it before, had the understanding of Jew in the Old Testament. This was a new revelation from God, right here, right away. Both to the Jews, of course, but also to John himself. You may say, well, he's saying it. How can it be a revelation? That's a good question. Well, the answer is, is that 
he was a prophet. And as a matter of fact, we won't go there, but in Matthew eleven ten, Jesus said that John was a prophet. Now, the interesting thing about prophets, it's a tough job. I mean, we're studying the book of Isaiah right now. We see how hard it is. We're going we're gonna to see next week, if we get that far, that the Lord actually told Isaiah to take his clothes off and walk around like that for three years. That's a tough job. Imagine that, walking around with, you know, you don't have your cloak on, you don't have your shoes anymore for three years. A tough job. All right. Well, one of the things that made it difficult was that the prophets received words, revelations, messages from the Lord, the word of God. When he, most of the time when the prophets spoke, the people didn't understand at all what the message was. By the way, Jesus would have that same experience. He would talk about hunger and bread, and they thought he was just talking about the food when he was talking about himself. He would, be, he would talk about the water that would be springing up like a well, and they thought, hey, I want some of this water. Now, literally drink it. No, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So Jesus had this same thing with his own disciples where he would say something. They wouldn't really understand it. And that's what's going on here. You see, even the prophet sometimes doesn't understand it. We don't realize how blessed we really are. Because now we do understand all of these things. All of these things that were what are called types in the Old Testament. In other words, kind of a shadow, an introduction, a small foretaste of what would come. And of course, what would come was who would come. And Jesus is revealed in the New Testament. And in in all of these different places as the fulfillment, as the completion. All right, you have the Lamb in the Old Testament. You have the Lamb of God being revealed and all that that meant, for example. So many things, including in the book of Hebrews, you'll see that he's the great high priest. There was an old priest, there was a, a priest in the Old Testament and he was a sinner, right? So day by day, you'd have to offer these offerings again. But now we have Jesus, who's the great high priest, who offered himself once for all time. Please turn now to the book of Revelation. Let's see what we know about the Lamb, the Lamb of God. Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 8. Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 8. And again, this was something clearly wasn't known to the Jews that were disciples of John in the first century. For one thing, John wouldn't write the book of Revelation until many years after he introduced his disciples to Jesus. So they would not have made the connection to the book of Revelation for the simple reason that the book of Revelation hadn't been written yet. So we see it. We're given the whole, the whole spectrum. What's the word? Panorama. Trying to come up. We see the whole thing from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We'll see in First Peter how he talks about the precious blood of the Lamb redeeming us. Okay, but that's all things that were written later and given to us okay, upon whom the end of the ages has come, as the Bible says. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. When he had taken the book, this is the Lamb, who was the only one who could open the seals of this book, But he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. There's the lamb. Each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you, the lamb, to take the book and to break its seals. Notice this, for you were slain. Now we have the lamb who was slain. All right, John didn't say that, but now we see it. Of course, the Lamb is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to be sure. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So this, as it were, is the fulfillment of what John said really rather cryptically that we just saw in chapter 1 of the Gospel of John. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, but let's let's see what he's really talking about. We have to look at places like the book of Revelation. It meant that Jesus, the lamb, was slain, was was killed, was crucified. Um, John doesn't talk about that here. He doesn't talk about the lamb dying and then certainly not that he would purchase with his blood 
men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So when John said the world, he meant this. Every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So that gets fleshed out, as it were, in the, in the book of Revelation. And that's why we're so blessed. Now, John was not only introducing Jesus to the Jews. He was also revealing something else, as we see here. He was revealing that the ministry of Jesus would be to the entire world. Again, this was revolutionary at the time. Because everything about the prophets in the Old Testament, everything about what Moses taught, all of that was intended for the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel only. Okay, now here comes John the Baptist talking about this one who was to come. And they had the idea, at least, that this would, could be the Messiah, the King of Israel. But here John opens them up to a whole new reality, which is that he's coming. Jesus' ministry is to the entire world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Of the world. That's new. You go from Israel to the whole world. And by the way, that's what the book of Acts will show what that meant. How the, how the, how the early apostles' work was in Jerusalem and preaching to the Jews. John and James and Peter were apostles to the Jews. But then we have Paul come on the scene in the book of Acts. And then Paul takes the message and actually gets new revelation from the Lord. That's how one of the main reasons that we know everything about what happened at the cross and its implications is because the Lord subsequently revealed it to Paul. There's so many things that are in the, in the letters of Paul that were never revealed anywhere, including the Gospels. And so, so he rounds things off. He, he brings out new revelation himself. He gives us information that's never been revealed about who we are now, that we are indwelt by the Spirit, that we are in union with Christ, okay? All of that would come later. But even here, John introduces something that Jesus' ministry would be to the entire world, not simply to Israel. All right, let's continue back in John chapter 1. Now we'll be on verse 30 together. John chapter 1, verse 30. We've seen a little bit about the Lamb of God. We see that in the book of Revelation, we learn that he would be the one who would be at the center, along with God the Father, by the way, and then the, 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 the living creatures and the elders saying to him, the Lamb, Jesus, the Son of God, remember that you were slain, you were with your blood, you purchased men from every tribe and tongue and people. Now back in John chapter 1, verse 30, this is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I. Now, John was a great prophet, but Jesus is a totally higher rank than him, of a totally different order, by the way. The great highest possible order, the God in the flesh. And so he had a higher rank also because he would become the king of Israel. John was a great prophet. Jesus, in fact, would say, among those born of woman so far, none is greater than John the Baptist. But he who was least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. This is something new. This is something that had never been understood before. Now, when he says, I, he, he is a higher rank than I, for he existed before me, John is actually referring back to a statement that he had made the day before. And you can just look at it now in John 1.27. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He has a higher rank than I, so much higher that I don't even consider myself to be a slave. I'm lower than that. That's what he basically, we saw that last week. Even the slave wouldn't do this, but John says, I'm not worthy to even untie his sandal. So that's something else. Now, he also said the same thing before he baptized Jesus. And I want you to see that too, just to round this out. I want you to go back to Mark, only a couple of verses earlier. Back in chapter 1, verse 7. Mark chapter 1, verse 7. So in other words, this was something that John said often. He said it often. When it says he said it earlier, then he's talking about also the fact that he said it at the time Jesus was baptized by John. 
Again, look at Mark chapter 1, verse 7. And he was preaching, John preaching, saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I. And I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Water was for cleansing. It didn't really, it didn't really take away sins. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he will baptize and that will be a whole new thing. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. All right, back in John chapter 1, verse 30. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him. But so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. Now, here's the question. John was a relative of Jesus. You know, when he was born, it was a miraculous birth. And the mother of John the Baptist, Elizabeth, actually came to visit Mary, the mother of Jesus, and knew that, there was, that, that, that she was, the, was bearing God's son. She knew all of that. All right. When 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 John was born, his father prophesied about the fact that you would be the one who would would introduce this Messiah, this Jesus. You're trying to tell me that his father never told him. Of course he did. And the same thing with Jesus. Jesus certainly had heard of John the Baptist through his mother, if not, no other reason. He's also omniscient, which I probably helped. But the fact of the matter is, is that how can it be then? How can it be that John, who was relative of Jesus, who's from very birth, they were tied together. How did he didn't know him? How is that possible? Didn't recognize him. Well, it's kind of simple, actually. Of course he knew Jesus, right? Just like, you know, you, I may know Lorraine. I do know Lorraine, right? But there, there'd be a lot of things maybe about her I don't know, right? And only if it's revealed to me would I know those things. Now, I'm not setting you up to be... You know, anything holy. I, I used to be a Catholic, but, you know, I'm not doing that today. Just illustrating, right? So he knew Jesus, right? Just like a lot of the unbelieving Jews would say, well, we know him. You know, he's the brother of so-and-so. His father's Joseph. He lived down there in Nazareth, which was a lousy place to live. So they knew the human being, okay? But they didn't know the most important thing about him, that he is the one, right? The one. The Messiah, the Son of God. He was the one who would be baptizing with water. He was the one who would perform a greater baptism than John. He didn't know that. He did not know that again until he saw the Spirit descending and remaining on Jesus. Then he knew. Why? Now, why did he know? Because the Father told him that when you see this, you'll know. Okay? Just like with the Jews later on. They had been told in the Old Testament about the signs that would accompany the appearance of the Messiah. Okay? But then with Jesus, they didn't recognize him either until he performed those signs in many cases. Like like raising Lazarus from the dead, for example. Or turning water into wine, for example. And so forth. So there's, there's knowing at a one level and then there's recognizing who that person really is, who Jesus really is. A lot of people will say, including the Muslims, will say, oh yeah, we know Jesus. He was a great prophet. But they won't tell you, because they don't believe it, that he's actually God's son and that he died on the cross for our sins. They, don't, they leave that part out. A lot of people in the time of Jesus were doing the same thing. Well, he might be a prophet, he might be a great guy, he might be all of this, you know, but is he, he's, he's, they didn't realize he's the son of God. All kinds of people today say the same thing. You know, there's lots of studies and academics and even people on the street who think Jesus was a great guy. They think he was a great teacher. But they don't believe he's the Son of God. They don't believe he's God in the flesh. They don't believe that he is the King of Israel. They don't believe that he takes away the sin of the world. See, that's a, that's a very different thing. And the same thing, by the way, with the Gospel. People say, well, you know, you believe in Jesus. What do you mean? that he Believe that he walked on the earth? Yeah, I probably can believe that. No, believe in the fact that he's God's son. You're a sinner. You need a savior. He's the savior. 
God, God died for sinners. Jesus Christ, rather, died for sinners. I'm a sinner. Jesus Christ died for me. That's a whole different ballgame. Same thing here. This one is the Son of God. 508 verse 1 also explains why John came baptizing in water. Notice, he says, he says, I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. This is so important, especially for us. You know, throughout church history, there's always been all these debates about water baptism. A lot of them, right? Was it, is it sprinkling or is it immersion, for example? Some of the church traditions and some of the denominations thought it's sprinkling. I, by the way, when I was an infant, I was baptized in the Catholic Church and they sprinkle water on me. You're not going to take a baby and dunk him in the tank. Well, maybe, you know, maybe some people would, but they'd be arrested for child abuse. But I had water sprinkled on me. They thought that was baptism. That was one of the things, you know, should you baptize when they're an infant? Should you baptize when they come of age? Should you baptize when they believe in Christ as an adult, for example? So there's all this debate and controversy about water baptism. But really, if people understood what water baptism really was, there wouldn't be any debate. Why? Because John tells us right here. He says, this was why I baptized in water. John was the quintessential baptizer. And he baptized in water for reason. For one reason. That Jesus would be manifested, revealed to Israel. That was his function. That was the function of water baptism. If you go back and read the book of Acts, you will see it. That there are certain points in time, particularly with Jewish people, where, they, where they were, he was, Jesus was revealed to them for the first time, and then there was water baptism. All right? Typically, again, with Jewish people. And typically for the purpose of giving a sign to a lot of other people. All right? And that, and that after they understood what the purpose was for. Then the church, especially under Paul, started to realize what it was said here in John chapter 1, which was the baptism in water had a purpose in the past. It doesn't have a purpose now. It doesn't have a purpose now. Why? Because we have the greater baptism, the baptism by the Spirit. So if, if the church just understood that, they wouldn't have any debates about water baptism. But of course, it still goes on. There are some still today who teach that in order to be saved, you have to be baptized in water. Did you know that? The Church of God, for example. They believe that you must be baptized in order to be saved. All right? Others, others believe that you have to be baptized in order to be a real Christian. Right? You can believe, but then you have to take the next step. Water baptism. But that's nonsense. It's not true at all. Because the moment that you believe in Christ, you're baptized by the Holy Spirit. John, uh, Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 says there's one baptism now. And what is that? I'll give you a choice. You can either be baptized with water or you can be baptized with the, by the Holy Spirit. Which one do you want? All, right, all in favor of water baptism only. Raise your hand. Ah, you're smart. Yeah, no, it'd be, it would be the baptism by the Spirit, of course. Why? Because that places you in union with Jesus Christ. And, and that puts you in union with all the rest of the body of Christ. It's a miraculous thing. It's a spiritual thing. In the Gospel of John, we'll see again and again and again this amazing theme of out with the old, in with the new. From the earthly to the spiritual. John the Baptist himself was a living illustration he was from below, from the earth. Jesus came and was greater. He was from above. Jesus would talk to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and they would be talking about a lot of things, water, and she had the same confusion, right? He said, I have living water. You, would, you know, Jesus came and asked her for a drink, literal water from Jacob's well, and she, she gave it to him. And then he says, you know, if you knew who it was that was standing in front of you, you'd be asking me for the living water. And you will never thirst again. And she's thinking, that'd be great. I wouldn't have to keep lugging this bucket over here and dipping it in. I'll have water and I'll drink it and it'll be living water and I'll be all set. But she's still talking about her physical body. No, Jesus had to explain, I'm not talking about natural earthly water. I'm talking about spiritual things. The Holy Spirit from the old to the new. From the earthly to the heavenly. And the same thing is true about water baptism. In any event, 
This one, Jesus, the Son of God, okay, he did this. He, John baptized in water so that Jesus would be manifested or revealed to Israel. That's the thing I want you to take away from this, okay, that, that when the Messiah came, the Jewish people were in the dock about him. Right? He came into his own, and his home received him not, all right? They needed a lot in order to have their eyes opened, and most of them wouldn't even after that. But one of the things early on was this water baptism, and it was to Israel. Jews ask for signs. Greeks seek wisdom. All right. Just so we're clear about that. So, again, chapter John, let's continue. I mean, John, chapter 1, let's continue. Um, Verse 33 again, I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. By the way, Jesus himself would say the same thing after he was resurrected, right before he was ascended. He would say, John baptized in water, but not too many days from now you will be baptized in the Spirit. Always that contrast between the lesser and the greater. Jesus will perform a greater baptism than John did. There's no doubt about it. Jesus will perform a greater baptism than John did. And yet the church today is still all fixated on that old baptism when we have the new and greater spiritual baptism. That's the point. From the lesser baptism to the greater baptism. From the lesser to the greater. John baptized in water, but Jesus will baptize in the Holy Spirit. Again, from a lesser baptism to a greater baptism. And that's a profoundly important theme in John. Let's keep our outlook for it, because we're going to see it a lot. What am I talking about? From the lesser to the greater. From the old to the new. From from the law given through Moses. Let's see it. John 1.17. Here's another example of this principle. From the old to the new. From the lesser to the greater. Look at John 1.17. We've already seen this. We've already seen this. And it's all centered on the one who was to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. When he came, as we read in 2 Corinthians, right, all things are new. All things are new about who we are. Right? Never before was it revealed that there would be a body of Christ, a people who would be the body of Christ. That was never revealed before. It was never revealed before that we would be adopted sons and daughters of the living God, these people called the church. That was never revealed before. That's new. That's greater. <coughs> it was great to be a member of the nation of Israel. Of course it was. You had revelation and the sacrifices and so many things that were greater than what the pagans and the Gentiles had back then. But now, in the church, we have much greater things than even the nation of Israel had. And that's why it's so crazy, actually, when people want to go back. (laughs) They want to go back. They want to go back and do the things that the nation of Israel did. They want to have all these rituals again, which was how the nation of Israel oriented to God because the Lord told them to. That's why in chapter 4 again, the woman at the well, he would say to her, listen, she would ask him about, she's asking about worship. Well, you know, you guys say you're supposed to worship in the temple in Jerusalem. We worship on this mountain. You know, who's right? He would say, woman, a day is coming and it's already here when those who worship God will worship him in spirit and in truth. These are the worshipers that my father wants. Now, here's the point. You can worship in spirit and in truth anywhere, anywhere. It has nothing to do with your earthly situation. It's spiritual. That's new. That's better. That's greater. You see this in so many things. You see it here in John chapter 1, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses... Aha, that's what they understood. They knew that. He was talking to Jewish people. The law was given through Moses. But grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. That's something new. That's something greater. That there was the law as a way of life. Right? And it certainly made sense. It certainly was something that would be important for a nation whose God is the Lord to understand, as it were, the rules of being a nation. That's really what the law was laying out. It was saying, here's good conduct. Here's how you should be structured. Here's how you orient to me with your sacrifices. 
That was very good. But when Jesus came, that passed away. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. Those things have passed away. Now new things have come. All things are new. Now, what did Jesus bring with him? What's the new way of orienting to God? Grace and truth. In other words, it's no more what we do, right? It's what he has done for us. That's grace. And like he says later on, we worship in truth and in spirit. It meant from the, with the heart. Now, the Lord had always said that. Even in the Old Testament, even through the prophet Isaiah, he would say, even in First and Second Samuel, he says, you know, you guys look at the outside, but the Lord looks at the heart. All right, so this principle is already there. But now, Jesus Christ brought it to its fullest. He came in grace and in truth, and he brought that to us. Those things were finally realized. From the earthly things to the heavenly things. Look at John chapter 3, verse 5. From the earthly things to the heavenly things. John chapter 3, verse 5. And by the way, this was certainly not understood back then. It was not understood by the Jewish people. They were still looking at things from an earthly perspective. They wanted an earthly Messiah. They wanted someone who would would have a military victory, earthly thing, right? The people that had, went and saw the miracle of the five loaves and the two fishes, fish, they were excited because they were fed, a very earthly thing. And by the way, you know, the, the, the disciples would have the same confusion. You know, in chapter 4, we'll get to it, when, when Jesus is with the woman in the well and, he, and they return, and then they say to him at one point, have you eaten? Right? He says, listen, I have food you don't know about. And they would say to one another, who got him food? He said, we thought he was here the whole time. Somebody must have come from the village or something. They had no clue what he was really talking about. You know? He was saying, my food is to do the will of my father. That's my nourishment. That's, my, that's what sustains me. They didn't understand that. They didn't understand that. From the earthly things to the heavenly things. Look at John 3, verse 5. Jesus answered. Now, they, now he's, he's talking with Nicodemus, who which interestingly came by night. All right? That's interesting, you know, because he didn't really want anybody to know what he was doing. A lot of Christians come to Jesus by night. You know, they really don't want anybody to know. All right? By the way, I'll, I'll throw this in, that one place in the uh, uh, baptism still serves a purpose, by the way, is in foreign missions. When they, the, the, they needed a sign in order to let people know who they are. And that was still very important in their culture, just like it was important to the Jews. You know, there are times when Christians will have somebody baptized in water and so that the people in the, in the village can see it. And they can see this is something new. This is something different, right? But certainly not for Christians in America, right? We don't, we don't use those. We don't need them. We guess we use them, but we don't need them. So he's talking to Nicodemus. It's at night. And he says this, truly, truly. By the way, that means something important is about to come. Truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born of water, that's physical birth, by the way, and the spirit. Whew, that's something new. Right? It's, it's, true, it's new for the world. It's just something most of the world doesn't understand. He would say that, you know, the spirit is like the wind. It blows, it, cut, it, it comes and then it goes, but you don't know where, it's, you know, where it is. So the same thing is here. The spirit is something new. Unless one is born of water, that's physical birth. And the spirit, that's spiritual birth. That's what's called regeneration. Or what's sometimes called born again. Right? Becoming a son or a daughter of the living God. Going from the old to the new. From being a part of the old man, Adam, to being a part of the new man, Jesus Christ. You have to be born of the spirit in order for that to happen. All right, born of water and the Spirit. You cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, of course, again, Nicodemus is thinking about that, and he's thinking about, well, you know, I know something. I'm a smart guy. I'm a leader of the Jews. I know something about the kingdom of God. We certainly understand that, that there's a Messiah who's going to come, and then he's going to make Jerusalem the center of the world. But what about this? What do you mean if I'm not born of the Spirit, I can't enter the kingdom of God? All right? That which is born of flesh... Is flesh, earthly thing. That which is born of the spirit is spirit, a spiritual thing. There it is again. 
from the old to the new, from the lesser to the greater. Believe me, baptism by the Spirit, being born again by the Spirit, is a far, 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 far greater thing than being born naturally. You heard the expression, born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. You ever hear that? It's pretty much accurate. You know, if you're, in die, if, you, if, you're, if you're born once, you're born dead in your sins. And then when you die, you die again. And then, by the way, there's actually a third one, which is then you have the death of the lake of fire. Actually, interesting. But now if you're born twice, you only die once. All right. In any event, let's uh, I'll look back at John chapter 1. Verse 34. John chapter 1, verse 34. I guess I didn't mark that. But John chapter 1, verse 34. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. That Jesus was always the Son of God. He's always been, as it were, in the bosom of the Father. But now John has seen something. He has seen the very glory of the Lord. And now he's the one who can testify to others. Once you see the glory, you can testify to others. Once you understand that this is the Son of God, now you can testify to others. What? That that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Or to put it another way, the Messiah, the Son of God, is Jesus. Verse 35. Again the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. Now, these are, these are picked out now. Right? Before, there was a general statement that John, that John was making. Now, he's turned into two in particular. There are two in particular. It's like the statement that, you know, there's a lot of people who love mankind in general. They just can't stand the individual people in their life, right? So it's very important to boil things down to real people, right? What does that mean? When we're witnessing, we have to recognize who it is that the Lord wants us to witness to, you know. And, and sometimes that has to be very um, clear and very intentional, if I could use that word, that the Lord will put somebody on your heart and then you'll focus on that. I'm going to find an opportunity to witness to this one, to these two, all right. By the way, I, had, I did a little mathematical exercise. I may show it to you next week, but maybe you can, I'll leave this as a homework assignment. And that is this. Okay, let's just say you're starting a church. It's just you, one person. All right? And then next week, you invite somebody who became a new believer to come. Now, how big is the church? Two people. And then the next week, that new person invites another new believer. Now, how, how, how big is the church? Three. By the time you get to four months, by the way, what do you, how, how many people will be in the church? About. Yeah, about 20, right? Okay, let's do another thought exercise. Let's say now that you're one person and you invite two people to come. And then the next Sunday, those two people invite two more people each. And then the next Sunday, those four invite two more people each. Question is, how many people will be in the church then after four months? I'll leave that to you as a homework assignment. But it's remarkable, the power of two. That's all I'll say. All right. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked. And he said, again, you might say, why is he repeating himself? Well, repetition is good. But now he is is focusing on the two disciples. He says, listen, I tell you again, this is the one. My whole ministry, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. If you had been paying attention to me as your mentor, as your rabbi, and you were really my disciples, you would know why I came. I came for one reason. They introduced the Jews to this one. This is the greater one. I am the lesser one. Once he has come, you know, in a sense, my job's over. And those who were disciples of John who were paying attention and listening to him as he spoke would get that, right? Right away. And by the way, these two do. Notice, he looked at Jesus as he walked and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard John speak. And what did they do? They followed Jesus. Why? Because this was the one that John said was coming. This was the one he said to prepare for. This was the one who was the Messiah, the Son of God. And when he came... They, they said, okay, thanks, John, for doing your job. Now we found him, too. All right. 
By the way, we'll see that here. And we'll see this next week. Notice in verse 35, another day. The next day. Another day will dawn. And it will be another momentous day. And that's where we'll pick it up next Sunday. John declares that Jesus is the, son, is the Lamb of God. Two of his disciples are about to have a totally life-changing experience. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you again today for redeeming us. We thank you also, Father, that you have left your word remarkable, the different books of the Bible. We thank you that you have inspired John to write his gospel so that we can see in, in indicators that are clear that Jesus really is the Son of God, the Messiah. And now, Father, we will now turn to worshiping your Son through the, through the Lord's Supper. And we ask as we do that, Father, that we will calm our hearts, calm our souls, and just focus on the one who died for us. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. I would now ask for the ushers, please come forward and pass out the communion elements. The next day, John saw Jesus coming to him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He came so that the world would be saved, that he would save the world, the world from its sin. Next week, we're going to be introduced in the Gospel of John to Peter. Now, Peter would become, as it were, the head apostle, all right? And he would go on to write two letters himself. And in the first one, he says this. If you address as father the one who impartially judges, according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter here brings into remembrance the death of the Lord and the resurrection of the Lord. And he says the way of the world is futile. It's futile. It's pointless. The way of this world is pointless. It's hopeless. Tomorrow or the day after that or someday anyway, we'll be dead. And as far as the world is concerned, that's the end of a life. A life that was lived under the sun, as Ecclesiastes says. Ultimately, that life is meaningless and vain. It means nothing. It means nothing. Until, and that was true of the human race, until one day, one glorious day when God sent his son into the world to redeem this world. In him was true life, real life. And this one, God's son, declared, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Not a futile life, eternal life. Those are the choices. Either, you, either a person is going to go through their life and at the end of it, they're going to look back and they're going to say, what was it all for? They may have gotten very rich, but when they die, they will not have any of those riches anymore. They may have had great friends, but when they die, they don't have those friends anymore. All right? Then you have another life. It's called eternal life. And those who receive that will never really die because they'll have the life of God from the moment they believe for all of eternity. That's the choice for every member of the human race. A futile way of life or eternal life. We, eternal life is available to any person now because Jesus Christ is the lamb who was slain. The blood of Christ has redeemed us. 
That's why. And by believing in him, we have eternal life. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. You have it today if you're a believer in Christ. And you'll always have it. And notice this, does not come into judgment, but is already passed out of death into life. And then Jesus, when he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, using the the picture of new physical life out of death, to illustrate the ultimate, which was new spiritual life out of death. Jesus said to her, to Martha, the, the sister of Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He said this and soon after that his hour had come. And then the source of all life laid down his own life. So that we might have eternal life. 1 Corinthians 11 Starting in verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's do that today, in remembrance of the Lord. In the same way also he took the cup after supper. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember this morning that we have been purchased with the blood of Christ as we drink this cup. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. Heavenly Father, we know that you ordained the entire life of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would be revealed as your Son, and that that hour would come when he would die on the cross for the sin of the world. And you would raise him from the dead on the third day. And we know that every time we gather together and hear your word, we're bringing him into remembrance. And then every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're bringing his death into remembrance again. For we need, it, we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded so that we too will be witnesses and declare that death and what it means to everyone, everyone that we meet. We thank you again for that, Father. And we thank you, too, that with that enriched understanding, remembrance, that we may leave here today totally secure in your love and in our salvation. Because it's not anything based on anything we do, but it's based on what's already been finished, Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we leave today, just want to remind you to keep reading the Gospel of John. I'm doing it. See, I, I, as you know, I had surgery and I couldn't walk and all of that. Not complaining, but illustrate. So now I bought this thing. It's called an elliptical machine. It's like, it's like I don't know, a couple hundred bucks, but it has the handles. and has this, like, no impact. You just go back and forth and you get your exercise. Well, you know, I'm doing about a half hour, right? I'm not bragging, but I'm illustrating. So I have, as a lot of you have, I have this uh, Bible on tape. It's not tape anymore, but somebody reading the Bible. This guy is great. He has Max something or other. He has a British accent. So. so I'm listening, and I'm probably getting in seven chapters every time I'm doing that elliptical. So it's possible. You know, you can read every week. You can read through the Gospel of John. And believe me, as you do that, you're going to be more and more in love with the Lord, more and more in awe of the book that John wrote and how things get tied together. I say this all the time, but you have to experience it in order to really understand what I'm talking about. So please keep reading the Gospel of John. As always on Thursdays, we get together on Skype at 6.30. 6.30 on Thursdays. We're studying the book of Isaiah. We pray at the end. So if you can be a part of it, please be a part of it.
You know, especially in these times where it's tough to gather together. I'm, I want to welcome our folks back who, uh, who, because of the COVID virus, you know, shouldn't have been with us, if I put it that way. But now that, that this vaccine is out, we're so happy that you're back. Yeah, we're so happy you're back. But we're still under those conditions where it's still difficult to have the, the life together that we used to have, okay? So Skype performs that kind of a function. is not the same thing. But one of the things by praying at the end of service, we do kind of keep in touch. Unfortunately, it's in difficult things that people are going through. But we want to know that so that we can pray for them as well. So if possible, please join us on Thursdays at, at 6.30 p.m. on Skype. All right. If you have any questions about the Gospel of John, about the Gospel, about today's message, or anything else that has to do with the Lord and the Word of God, I always invite you to send me an email. Used to, of course, invite people up at the end. Well, we're not doing that for the time being. But in a sense, email's better. I mentioned this before because it gives me time to actually think about what I'm going to answer and actually maybe do a little studying in the Word to like give you a real answer, right, rather than off the top of my head. And uh, anyway, email me if you have any questions. People, some people do. It's funny because the same people do it, you know. And that's fine. I love doing it. But you all can be doing it, right? I'm sure. I know I'm a great teacher and all, but I'm sure you still have questions, right? I'm being a little cocky today. I don't know why. To show I'm human. I'm a sinner just like you. Anyway. Okay, let's close. Father, we thank you again today for all your good gifts. We ask now, Father, that we would continue in a life of prayer for the benefit of ourselves and others. And because it it makes you happy when we pray for one another and we spend time with you, you're pleased by such things. And we just uh, ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we offer this by the power of the Holy Spirit, third member of the Trinity. And we ask it all in Jesus' name again. Amen.